You are about to opt in to Monerotopia, a show for the Monero community where all are welcome to join. From noob to maxi, no matter what bags you hold. Just sit back and relax to the sweet sounds of Monero's latest progress. Or if you're feeling inspired, join us on stage. Remember, the only thing that can stop Monero is a false belief that it can be stopped. And if you want to win the revolution faster, we recommend you remove your XMR from all custodial exchanges immediately. Warning, boating accidents are common around here. Don't forget to properly secure your private keys. Monerotopia starts now. Uh, so what's going on, man? Nothing much. Nothing much. <laughs> <laughs> Anything going on in uh, Monero related in your world? Working out and working on some stuff. Some stuff. Um, but I'll, I'll be gone next week uh, for non-Monero related stuff, but for uh, tech stuff, privacy stuff. Okay. Yeah. What well, uh, do you want to tell people, or you don't want to tell people? No. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be I'll be speaking at this conference next week. That's in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Linux Fest, and I'll be speaking on Saturday. And I'll be doing a uh, a Graphene OS presentation. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Where's that? It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. How is that? Is that like a big conference? How many people go to that? Oh, <laughs> I hear the spaces now. Sorry. What'd you say? Okay. Sweet. Uh, that's good. It's working. So people in spaces, sorry about that. We were we had to switch the phone out. Um, I see people in there, like like Archie and yeah, people that are going to be joining us later for the spaces. Uh, we'll get to you in probably about 40, 40 minutes when we have the the guests. Um, yeah, do a lot of people go to the Linux thing? Um, it's it's a decent sized conference. It's not huge. Um, it is a bit bigger than Monerotopia. Uh, but it's still like a relatively smaller one, maybe like three to four hundred people. Okay, that's that's pretty decent. And it's always in the same place, or they they move it around. They usually have it at the same place in Charlotte. It's at this um, hotel that's like right next to the airport. Very cool. You'd be going there for. I mean, it couldn't have been too long. I mean, you're you're you're, <laughs> you're a pretty young guy. <laughs> how, how many years have you been going to that? Uh, it's uh, first time I went was last year, so this is my okay. second time. Yep. Cool, man. Is there any like Monero crossover there? Is there any? Uh... Funny enough, uh, last year, and this is when I was starting to get into Monero. I went there to hear Luke Smith, and he did a a talk about Monero there. So yeah, wow. there is there is a little bit of crossover. For Amazing sure. for sure. That's that's good. That's a good sign. That that there's yeah. I noticed that at Monerotopia too, right? There's like kind of a, a little bit of a, a Linux a Linux crowd that's associated with Monero. For sure. Why why do you think that? I mean, what's your theory as to why that is? I mean, I guess it's true. It's just the general oh, uh, general privacy freedom like intersection where it just kind of like all that stuff just kind of comes together. And if someone's interested in Linux, usually they're interested in like the privacy freedom aspect. So naturally, they would also be interested in something like Monero. I ha- I have heard people label Monero as kind of the Linux of cryptocurrency. You know? I've I've heard that. Yeah, but usually they're saying it in like a pejorative sense, like it's you know it's it's not going to be mainstream or something. Mm. <laughs> but I mean Linux Linux is made right. Like yeah. people don't even realize it, but I mean a lot a lot of things in the background are, are using Linux, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, all the time. Yeah. The servers probably running this stream are using Linux. Yeah, take that. Um, all right, let's let's get going. Let's get going with the show. What do we have up first? So, first thing, yeah, we can do price report. Let's hit it. Do it.
The Monerotopia Price Report segment is sponsored by Local Monero. Avoid using KYC exchanges. Buy and sell Monero directly for fiat, peer-to-peer. What up, buddy? What's going on, man? What's up, buddy? Good. How you guys doing? Good, good. Doing good. I um, I can't help myself here. Anyone use FreeBSD out there? If there's anyone that uses FreeBSD, you know, hit a like out in the comments or, or something like that. Um, I always joke that um, Monero is like the FreeBSD and Bitcoin is like Linux. Uh, FreeBSD is very, it's not used nearly as much, but it's extremely powerful in a lot of ways. Like, for example, Netflix runs all of their server back in with FreeBSD. I remember hearing about that. That's super cool. Yeah, it's an interesting system. It's... um. It, the difference between the ecosystems is that, and this is like such a good comparison, whereas Linux is a bit uh, sort of fractionated. There's a bunch of different little ecosystems, right? You've got the kernel development, you've got um, GNU, which is kind of like your user space, and, and you've got uh, GNOME. You've got a whole bunch of different parts of the ecosystem that are kind of like, mm, they're, they're a little bit fractured. They're not like totally cohesive, which is why you have so many Linux distributions, whereas FreeBSD is kind of developed as a single unit together in lockstep. So like, you don't get these crazy regressions that break stuff. Um, and, and it's just generally a little bit more, it's a little bit more cohesive of an operating system. It's, it's actually even more stable in my than Linux. Um, but fewer people use it, fewer people know about it. Not, too, cool. different, not too different than Monero versus Bitcoin. All right. What do we got for, what do we got for price this week? Another kind of week in the doldrums, right? Not much. More. I, I guess actually we did see some negative action for Monero given the, the delisting. Yeah, I guess that's really, for us, that's the big story. If we just go straight to, uh, to Monero here. Uh, this is the weekly chart. I always like this weekly chart. It's, it's a clean chart, right? We've got our, our bear market here. We've got our broader rising triangle. Uh, but if we go down to the daily, yeah, we can see where, um, you know, we got, we got hit a little bit with some price action to the negative side. But, I mean, what is that? Down 7% after a delisting. Um, I mean, you guys were around for 2021, when Bitrex delisted, and even though they do no volume and they don't matter, it was just like the social hit that mattered more than anything. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, we kind of have to concede this one a little bit to to the guys on Reddit. For years, we're saying that Monero is going to get banned in Europe, particularly was one of their big um, contentions. And I actually kind of, you know, I resisted that personally for a while. Uh, and then they were like, well, okay, it might not get, crim-. we, we kind of came to a balance where they said, it might not get criminalized, but it'll still get banned off exchanges. And I kind of had to be like, yeah, you guys might be right. Um, so it looks like that yeah, it's actually happening. But at this moment, I don't think that any of us are really crying any tears. Over it. Um, the sooner this happens, rip the Band-Aid off. And I mean, let's find other ways of, uh, of getting into and out of Monero. It'll actually just make the decentralization of our ecosystem stronger, in my opinion. Um, but we are kind of like, so you can see down here, we are basically flirting again with... Um, with this uh, this lower line, we'll go back to the weekly really quick, just just so that you guys can make sure and have perspective on uh, why that that uh, thick white line here at the bottom is drawn the way it is. Oh, and if you're on the spaces, um, definitely tune into YouTube so you can see the charts. And uh, all the guys after me have really cool presentations uh, and graphics, so definitely worth getting on YouTube um, to watch this as well. But okay, so yet I digress. So that thick white line is kind of like came from you know it's it's basically years in the making here. And um, it looks like we're pro- oops, looks like we're probably going to end up touching that. Um, so, but I mean, realistically, like, is this is this the worst that some big delistings across Europe can do? Right, in, in all of France, was it Germany, France, and there was it Germany? I, I don't remember which countries. Uh, I, I think guess, it's uh, France, Italy, Poland. Uh, I don't know what else. We have we have a couple of people from France that are going to be jumping on to give us their their take, which should be cool. Cool. Yeah, those guys will have the details on that. I'm just, uh, you know, 
I'm just the price monkey over here. Okay, so, so let's go to uh, let's go to the Dixie because uh, I mean, again, you know, macro. I love macro. I, we got to keep our broad focus. You don't want to lose track of the broad focus. And by now, these charts should be pretty familiar to you guys. Um, so last week we talked about this was being, you know, this was kind of a um, uh, a reasonable point to expect that we could get some resistance here for the dollar index. Uh, for two reasons, right? Because on the local, more local level, we've got this line, and then on the slightly broader level, we've got that other line as well. And they were kind of intersecting, converging here. Now, this to me is like where we're at here for the dollar index is kind of an inflection point. Um, it's natural to expect that, okay, so after this kind of, you know, drop here, we, we had a little bit of divergence um, on the on the z-scores on the momentum indicators right uh dollar index is going up momentum indicators were already in a downtrend that signaled that we'd get a reversal but what can happen with these things often is that um just because it's kind of in a downtrend here doesn't mean that it can't stop um this is the kind of opportunity where the dollar index would would have the opportunity to kind of do this action and then do this and then eventually break to the upside and that would be a pretty negative sign, actually, for risk assets in general. It doesn't correlate one-to-one -one necessarily, but um, if dollar index really shows us some continuing strength here, um, we we will definitely start looking at uh, whether it's time to um, really exit these markets and, and wait for a better setup. Um, we can see that gold, uh, because you know the dollar index um, pulled back, that's where we got a little bit of action here to the top side, but then you know dollar index rebounded. So gold seems very inversely correlated to dollar index lately. Along with crypto, crypto has been surprisingly inversely correlated. Uh, we've got our reverse repos, and um, you know this thing is is mostly just stable and sideways. Uh, I would until we get some other indication. I, I'm just going to take this chart as sort of a corroborating continuation chart. Uh, like maybe if this breaks down and starts heading towards the downside, that could that could signal the potential for more upside in uh, in markets. Particularly, what we're looking at lately is the stock market is um, is really just continuing to rip. Right? It's continuing to make a big run. Um, the NASDAQ, for example, has already beaten its August highs, well beaten its August highs. And this is this right here is the last remaining peak before the all-time high in the NASDAQ. So that's that's interesting that stocks have really continued to perform. And um, ironically, the digital gold is actually performing in a way that seems to be congruent to gold lately maybe as of the past couple months. So like gold is just kind of sideways, not doing so great, whereas stocks are just going up. Uh, and that's a very common thing that you'll see um, once the stock market gets going, people lose their interest in gold. Um, but realistically, I mean, come on, like, like since the bottom here, gold is still up by 20%, which for gold is, you know, it's a pretty big move. Um, and, and the chart overall still looks fine. Take a quick look at oil here. Uh, essentially, it's just sideways, right? And this is, again, what you want to see. Um, I think this is intentional. This is purposeful. You, you don't want to see big oil prices. Uh, if you want to see the economy continue to recover and you want to see stocks have the potential to keep going up, you want to see stable oil prices. So uh, that's that. Let's take a look at the, the Bitcoin market cap added to the Ethereum market cap. I think that's the way to, um, that's an important way to, to think about things um, going into the future. And we're basically, there was um there was a little bit of hoopla earlier this week that uh, people thought hey hey we're breaking out here um you know that we're we're breaking the resistance and I kind of um uh, you know I I I I wasn't really convinced uh, because you know there's a few different ways to draw lines and okay it looks like maybe we were breaking here um, I even saw a line drawn kind of like this you know and I was like yeah kind of sorta you almost could say that um, 
But so many times you've got multiple lines that you've got to break the resistance multiple times. Anyways, um, this chart doesn't look so bad to me, though. Honestly, like there's still plenty of potential for Bitcoin um, and Ethereum and Monero to uh, to make more upside action here. I know it's been slow. I know it's been um, it's been difficult, but we'll, we'll get a little bit more into crypto in a second here. Uh, the Federal Reserve balance sheet has continued to drop. We're, we're basically almost back to the levels we were before the banking crisis. Um, what is that? Eight point four trillion, three, four. Yeah. So we're wow. OK, so we're really only like 40 billion dollars. If my math is right there, we're only 40 billion dollars from basically everything back being back to normal after the banking crisis. Um, let's see. Yields. Uh, we continue to see yield curve inversion. Um, we thought, hey, you know. Could this be the big one? Are we going to start doing that? And, you know, and yield curve is correcting and it's, it's time for the big one. Nah, yield curve just went back down. Um, let's see. We uh, we do see yields continue to slowly, but they're stable and slowly rising. The Federal Reserve Reverse Repo Lending Facility is probably designed to do exactly this, right? Why would you get a long-term yield at low rate when you could just get pure liquid cash and a higher yielding reverse repo if you're an institution. So people don't want these longer term yields. The rates ultimately have to go up to match. They're selling those, right? People don't want to be in them. You have to offer a more attractive interest rate. So the rate has to go up on the secondary market for those. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, still just kind of stability. Uh, let's take a look at the, at the S&P real quick. So the S&P is currently about to contend with the August peak um, back, uh, back last year. So the S&P still has a ways to go, and we can take a look at the ratio of the NASDAQ to the S&P. So as this goes up, that means the NASDAQ is doing relatively better than the S&P. Right here, there's some really big statistical levels that I look at, um, some standard deviations that uh, are likely to, to place a significant limitation here. That doesn't mean it has to reverse immediately. Like, you know, we've seen this where it could kind of just meander on down. So it is. there's a good chance that the S&P will actually um, make better gains on the NASDAQ or relatively compared to the NASDAQ. Um, potentially, is, if it can get over this area right here, uh, we'll have to see. But I mean, stocks, like I said, stocks just continue to perform. Um, and I mean, the cabal doesn't want you to buy crypto or gold. They want you in stocks, right? So I do think that there is there is some influence and pressures that try to, that try to make sure that this kind of action happens. Uh, let's see, crypto as a whole. Oh, one thing I promised I'd show you guys this week is um, is the adjusted regression analysis. So the regression that I had done previously, here's my brush. Um, so the regression I had done previously um, only took the data from like here backwards, right? Um, and so, but we had like, we had an entire year of bear market now and I wanted to integrate this data into the yellow line. Um, right, because we're we're looking at uh, extra bear market data now that that could be useful for us. So the orange line down here is basically the um, like the lowest lower boundary of the Bitcoin price, and then the yellow line is if you just exclude all of these blow off tops here, just get rid of all that data. And there's kind of a an algorithmic methodical way that you do that, um, but essentially it's the non the yellow line is the non bubble Bitcoin price. To me, it, it's kind of like represents something more akin to the fair value price of Bitcoin. Um, you know, these the these peaks up here, these are like leverage, blow off, fraud, bullshit kind of stuff, right? Hype cycles. Um, and they don't really represent real price. They just represent the opportunity for whales to dump their bags on unsuspecting plebs, uh, which is, you know, we don't want to we don't want to be those plebs. We want to be the guys that understand, you know, what dynamics are happening in the background. So you can see um, you can see back here. 
2016, we kind of just like slowly rode this line up and down, up and down. And it wasn't until we got right here, right, where the where the yellow line, where the fair value actually crosses the previous blow off top is when we finally shot up. And it we actually, we shot up a little bit earlier um, this past time. You can see that we only really just now, as of, I said just now, last year, somewhere around uh, July, um, where the fair market value or the non-bubble uh, regression of Bitcoin actually reached 20,000. And this was kind of another reason why for such a long time I said that, you know, we have to go back to 20,000, like this, the heights we're at don't make sense. Um, but at any rate, my guess is that over the next year, maybe, maybe two, maybe even all the way into 2025, we can probably expect something very similar as we saw 2015, 2016. Um, so I, I do think it's very possible that at some point we'll come touch the uh, the red line down here. We'll have to wait and see on that. You might be able to consider this close enough. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. But anyways, that's what the regression looks like. Um, the, at least the yellow line looks like after adjusting for the recent um, bear market that we've had. Um, and who knows, maybe it could still be, could still be in. Uh, let's see. I just wanted to cover shit coins a little bit too. So we've got total crypto market cap minus Bitcoin and Ethereum. So it's basically um, all the shit coins and also Monero is in, included in it. Um, I hope you, okay, so uh, we've got uh, we've, we've got kind of like this line right here. And uh, it, this has kind of been like a bit of a capping line. You could almost try and make the case that this looks a bit like a head and shoulders, although that's kind of a gimpy uh, short shoulder. It should more be over here. Um, but it, it's possible. Like we, we could see another run up here. I'm not really so confident like how long this can continue. Um, I'm starting to get, you know, a little bit antsy about is, is you know, are we getting close to a top? I, I still think that it's worth saying in the market, um, you know, it, we're still kind of like the expectation over the next year or so is that we should trend up on that, um, on that fair value line, like we showed for the regression just a, a little bit ago. Um, you know, shit coins are kind of a different story. You got to be careful with these guys because they can continue going down for even, even after Bitcoin's bottom, they can continue going down for them. But, you know, if you see this line get broken, um, that, that could be a sign that you could see a big shitcoin bounce. And honestly, seeing a big shitcoin bounce to me um, could could be a sign of a of a reversal, right? Of a, of a top, of an imminent sort of uh, interim top um, in, in kind of like a months long time frame. So uh, and finally, uh, let's go to Monero. And uh, we've got uh, Monero Bitcoin ratio. Here we go. Uh, Monero Bitcoin ratio, familiar chart, uh, sort of the lifetime chart um, with with the action that we've seen with the delistings uh, in Europe, it, it's actually really interesting that we're still basically holding that same level. That that hasn't really been a, a big deal for the ratio uh, for Monero to Bitcoin. So, um, you know, there's also another thing to consider about Monero right now is that um, they just released, and I think our news guys will get into this, but they just released the the proof of work solution so that you have to bid for bandwidth or bid for connections when it gets saturated, when Tor gets saturated, you have to actually bid for those connections using a proof of work mechanism. Um, and that should hopefully end the big DDoS against Tor. Um, <laughs> now, okay, so I'm not like, I, I mean, I, I think that some some drugs are okay. I don't wanna like be making moral statements here. I'm not sure like is, you know, is the dark webs like really the thing we wanna be like, yeah, all right, our price is gonna go up because people are buying drugs again, but maybe they're just buying life-saving insulin. You know, I, I don't know. It, it could just be trying to get around the uh, the corporatism in the United States. But at any rate, um, with that happening, there is, I think, a potential that Monero could actually perform. Um, one thing that we've seen I thought was very interesting. So uh, this dotted line, the vertical dotted line here, is uh, that was where we left off last week. And you can see that 
the price divergences for all of the exchanges were basically above the zero level. They were doing volume uh, at, at price divergences that were above Kraken's price. But if we undo the volume adjustment, we're going to end up seeing that they still, like even if even without the volume adjustment, they just like kept their prices overall higher than Kraken for that entire week, which is very unusual because usually what we see with their price divergences is that the, the actual like the actual um, price relative to Kraken will sort of oscillate around the zero. But then when you make the volume adjustment, you'll see that they're doing lots of volume in one direction. It's kind of lopsided. Um, maybe that's an obfuscation mechanism on their part. I don't know. But at any rate, we, um, we, we're kind of back to normal now. But I do think it was interesting that, that it does look like they purposefully put and kept their prices higher than Kraken in the week leading up to this delisting. And it's not like Binance was like, oh, my God, we should delist tomorrow. Like, this is something they've been planning. So, uh, you know, I do kind of have a – I do kind of wonder if, um, like, if they know something that we don't. And this is totally speculative. I, you can't even make a, a, a hypothesis on this, really. But is it possible that they know that there's more delistings coming? They're actually trying to accumulate Monero. Like, do we have negative price influences that are even more negative than we thought? And it's actually guys like Binance and Polo and whoever are actually buying Monero right now. And they're stocking up knowing that it's, you know, that it's going to be hard to get. And I mean, I don't know. You could probably go a lot of different things with that. But at any rate, the, um, the price divergence. I like, that, I like that theory. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well... I like it. I don't like it, right? Because what are they going to do with that Monero? Are they going to dump it on the market when it's time for bull market again? Yeah, it's it's a double edged sword. Well, I mean, they're they're not going to be dumping it on the market, right? Because they're no longer listing. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe they'll get into the uh, the atomic swaps game, um, and uh, who knows? Who knows? Right? Yeah, they'll they'll pump the price of Monero somehow, or then um, eventually relist it or something. Maybe. Right, they'll go fight some legal battles. Who knows with those guys, right? They're just schemers. It's, it's all they do. <laughs> their Although hands rubbing together. They give them more credit than they're due, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, it's pretty hard to scheme on that on that that level. Yeah, I mean, they we shouldn't underestimate them. No doubt, it's like they are pretty smart guys. Uh, at least some of them, right? It's kind of like the Federal Reserve and the government. Like, yeah, they're. I mean, we don't like them necessarily for all the fraud that's taking place, but hey, don't. Don't underestimate your enemy. That's a mistake. Well, I mean, I think the, the the narrative of them selling paper Monero and that it's like the end of days for that, that, that makes sense, right? Um, what do you think? Do you think that's going to have a real effect that there'll we'll, be less and less paper Monero out there? Huh. Yeah, you know, maybe that could be it too. Maybe they know that they plan on delisting, so they're going to have to pay a bunch of people real Monero. Maybe they're trying to accumulate to make those payments and not look like mm -hmm. assholes. <laughs> You know, that's we could go that direction potentially. Um, I do think that their games of Paper Monero are ultimately coming to an end. Um, it just seems like this stuff takes a lot longer, you know, than we might have originally hoped. But that's okay, you know. So should talking. should we? I mean, in theory, we should see uh, a reaction in price, right? If our if our Paper theory, our Paper Monero theory is correct, and now like Binance no longer listing Monero, I don't know if, if the ball is going to drop with other exchanges we should start to see less downward price pressure, right? If paper Monero was a real thing. Yeah, I think that that would make sense, but only only if um, Binance in particular, and maybe Qcoin as well, it seems like they've been doing more more action lately. But yeah, I mean, if, they're, if they start delisting in more and more jurisdictions, um, that could be the case. I, 
we, we really have to see, right? Because so far, these few countries probably don't represent a significant amount of volume or a significant amount of paper Monero. Um, so, you know, the United States, Canada, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'd have to go look and, and try and like track this down and do the research. But yeah, I mean, if we see Binance delist Monero in, is it the United, no, it's not the United States, just gen, just generally, like Binance delist is generally speaking, then okay, like, um, yeah, we should, we should see positive price action and kind of price floors. I mean, there'll be volatility though, like, cause the, the, the delisting people are going to be like, oh my God, they're going to panic, right? They're going to sell. So we'll see downside pressure, but then ultimately you'll see like a wick down and, and price will come back up. But yes, I, I think right. ultimately if we see broad delistings along this lines and this continues, then yes, we should see the sort of end of the paper Monero suppression. Uh, let's see, here's our Monero dominance. I don't know, not, not really exciting with this chart. Uh, maybe kind of forming a bottoming pattern, maybe even forming a very big head and shoulders, right? Like hypothetically, if that comes back to the top side, that would definitely be orders. Uh, yeah, so okay. Oh, Monero versus Ethereum. Yeah, we're kind of, I don't know. It's uh, it's not looking good to me. Uh, some of these statistical levels I look like, uh, look at, it looks like Monero lose a little bit of ground to Ethereum and find a bottom somewhere around in maybe this area. Um, but maybe we get lucky. Uh, it, it's kind of like, it's hard to, it, it's really hard to say because if Monero recovers against Ethereum and Bitcoin and other coins, we need either a fundamental event that drives that, or um, that means that the bear market is going to come back for, for a moment and try and swipe down. Uh, yeah, this chart doesn't look great is, is all I'm really getting at. So, um, But, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to hobble. That's what you're going to do. Buy more. <laughs> exactly. So all of your Ethereum and your Bitcoin and also your dog coin. With dog coins, which are up to 2 million transactions per day now. Oh, wow. I think what? Elon Musk had a meeting with um, the very large group of Dogcoin developers, and uh, and I think they decided to pump up their their numbers. You know, get those numbers up. Yeah! Wow, two million per day, <laughs> right? That's that's impressive. Okay, interesting. See, the the thing is that these guys have they have every incentive to pad their blocks. Like, if you're a mining pool, if you're a solo miner, you know, whatever, and you you win a block, you have every reason to pad that block um, to try and make it look like there's more transactions, make it look like there's more demand for block space so that you can get higher fees. Um, they, all of these guys have every single incentive to do this, but Monero doesn't have that incentive because of dynamic blocks. If you pad the blocks, everyone's going to be paying slightly less in fees anyways, right? Um, and if you like, so you could hypothetically try and pad 100 blocks beforehand to make it look like there's demand. Um, and then the block sizes start going up, but then people start paying less in fees. So you're actually losing on that. So Monero's dynamic blocks prevent like fakery on the blockchain, prevent fakery by the miner, whereas none of these other proof-of-work coins have a mechanism to do that. To that end, we have it looks like we have Arctic Mine that's uh, here today. That's awesome. So hope hey, what's up? Too. Maybe we could ask him about that uh, if he if he agrees with that theory. But it sounds sounds pretty accurate. Uh, sounds truthy. I could represent it. Maybe I'm wrong. It's probably a lot more math involved in the way I make it sound. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I will never understand the Elon Musk thing of him, you know, glomming onto Dogecoin and deciding to randomly out of nowhere pump it and stick with it, right? Like that that will never compute with me. Like why? Why Dogecoin, right? Like Mr. Mr. Liberty, Mr. Free Speech Purist. Uh, you know, glosses over something like Monero and decides to assist Dogecoin. To, it makes no sense to me. Well, he likes memes and he likes dogs. I guess it's as simple as that. He's just <laughs> yeah, fun-loving guy. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I think that's about all I got for you guys today, and, unless you had any questions. 
Uh, no, man, that's good. That's great. Yeah, let's keep moving because uh, we have a bunch of guests. We have uh, a couple of people that are from France that want to talk about their experience with the delisting and what they're going to do. I have a feeling it's going to be the response is going to be that they don't care and they're going to continue, continue to use Monero, but it'll be great to hear from them. And it looks like we have Arctic Mine. That's well, my tip of my hat to the, uh, to the resistance happening in France. They're on the front lines and um, hopefully they can show us how it's done. Yeah, for when, for when it comes here. Uh, thank you so much, buddy. Yeah, stick, or, stick around if you can. Uh, maybe you could interact with Arctic a little bit. That would be awesome. Cool. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, I'll be around. Awesome. Tux. Yo, ho. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's keep it moving because I don't want to keep uh, our guests waiting. Um, so I guess jump into the dev report. Dev report. All right, let's go. And now for the Monero development segment. Hey, what's up? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm just sorry, uh, fanboying because you have Arctic Mine here, and I, and and I'm just like out of nowhere. I'm like Arctic Mine shows. I'm like Jesus. Doug's a heavy hitter. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you're you're a heavy hitter, man. <laughs> As always, I, I thank you for doing these. These have been awesome. A great addition to the show. Yeah, no, it's just um. I remember when you talk called me about Anon Shop, and I was like, because I had like literally binged like all your stuff. I'm like, Doug wants to talk to me. I'm like, Jesus, what, what what's going on here? But yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's really great stuff. <laughs> great. What do you what do you got for us this week? Um, I know, yeah, um, I know. Um, um, Tuxedo asked me to talk about the Monero subscription service, but I forgot about that. But that's coming soon. Sorry, Tuxedo. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, this week I'm going to be talking about Tevador, I guess, um, saves Tor from DOS. In theory, right, I know I'm being a bit um, dramatic. I, I don't think the code is in practice yet, but a lot of people are supporting it and is in the dev work right now. So I'm going to talk about that because, you know, we're talking about dark neck markets. I know Body hinted at it. Thanks for the lead up, Body. Um, Body. And so I want to get talk a little bit about that. I'll keep it quick. I know you got a lot of guests on today. I'm super excited for the conversation. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, basically... Hopefully, to... hopefully you could stick around too, uh, interact yeah. with the, the guests. But go ahead. Take it away. Yeah, yeah, so, this, this is big news. Yeah, basically, um, if you're not familiar with the what's been going on with Tor, it was basically on their DDoS attack. I know Doug is also familiar with how nasty those can be, given their experience in Moneratopia. So basically, if someone was flooding the network with um, requests, and it makes it super, super slow. So, which is a big issue because I know Body was getting at maybe someone is buying insulin on the darkening market and using Monero. So, you like these are like actually life saving sites and marketplaces that people need. So, it's big, big issue if you can't use them. And basically, Tevador is someone I need to give you a little more context if you don't know what Random X is. It's probably my, I don't know, probably my, my when I compare my favorite features about Monero, is, is, is a close tie between Random X and dynamic block scaling. So RandomX basically was added to Monero in 2019, and it was designed to stop um, to stop ASICs and whatnot and stop spam on the network, essentially. So basically what an ASIC is, is in Bitcoin, ASICs are what do the proof of work, essentially. And that's not great for a uh, cryptocurrency because it centralizes all the work, right? In order to be a Bitcoin miner, you need like a big factory. You need to go get contracts with the power regulators, all that stuff, which makes you a great target to be regulated, as we've seen in the United States, et cetera, et cetera. And this is actually hinted at in the um, by Satoshi, I believe on a forum post, one CPU, one vote. And it basically helps decentralize the network. And it was worked on by Howard Chu, Need More Money, and Tevador. 
So this just sets you up to what random X is and why it's relevant in this context. Am I going too fast? Any questions? Does yeah, good. It's a good uh, awesome reminder. Yeah. So basically, random X is amazing. I have a thread, shameless plug in the right, talking about why it's important and why I think every cryptocurrency should have a version of its own random X. But like I said, Tevador did a bunch of work with his team on random X, and that leads into how Tor is using it. Basically, Tor is under attack right now by various peoples, um, and it's being DDoS. So it's really slow, really hard to use, and actually a lot of services have gone down. I believe like Dread Marketplace, which is a great place for people to learn about different issues. Um, like I, I believe it's um, a lot of word, the word they use is like um, um, harm prevention in the space, so you can study more about that. But Dread is a great service, been around for years, and it was actually taken down. And basically a DDoS attack is when someone just sends a lot of traffic to your website and it takes it and it pretty much makes it overloads the services makes uh, makes it so that authentic people can't actually use the service i know doug actually has experiences um Monerotopia was ddos for like a couple days i believe yeah yeah definitely definitely was because the yeah amount of hits we got like you know went to the tens of thousands or whatever it's completely knocked out the site yeah and i believe you you got in contact with the devs and they fixed it like within like yeah a, we ended up adding cloudfare mm. um, and you know that that solved the problem once you know, properly did that yeah but um, unfortunately with um tor you can't use something like um cloud cloudflare to protect tor because the tor is supposed to be anonymous and a big issue when fighting um, ddos attacks on tor is it's twofold the first one is you can't do a lot of the normal things because it's supposed to be anonymous right so i can't just be like i'll blacklist your ip and say your ip sent like ten thousand requests to the website i'm gonna block your ip because you don't actually know where the request came came from that's mm-hmm. the entire point of Tor. And the second biggest issue is that Tor networking runs your um, request through a bunch of different computers. So you're actually, you can use that to, you can send one request and take up like three times as much resources. And that's not the exact number, of course, but that's just a great analogy I've, you can use. So it's very, very resource intensive because of, because of onion routing, which makes it like super, super, super hard to defend against DDoS attacks. I think this has been going on for around a year at this point. You know, some of the best devs have been working on it and they haven't been able to fix it until now. And do, we, do we have any theories as to who's performing the DDoS attacks? Or I guess it would just be that or just complete, uh, you know, unsubstantiated theories. Nobody, nobody yeah. knows. Um, in my reading, I've heard uh, some theories. There's two main theories, depending on what kind of hat you want to wear. You want to wear your tinfoil hat. It is the um, CIA or some other big government trying to stop people from doing things on the dark net, stop the traffic. Which I don't know if I really buy that because I mean it was made by I'm sure the CIA uses Tor, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not sure I buy that the state actor approach. But I know that um Dread, this is actually not a theory, this is a this is a fact, I guess. Dread um was a forum that's on the dark net and they were being um actually DDoS and they were being um what's it called? Sorry. Oh, my mind. When someone demands money from you, hell not hell hostage, extorted. Right. Extorted, yep. Yeah, so you're basically saying, Hey, we're gonna DDoS your website, take you down unless you send us, you know. 50 Monero, 100 Monero, mm. and dress. I mean, of course, you you, you never pay terrorists because they just keep terrorizing you. So he, he's been working on um, his own stuff. I think Hug Bunter is a guy behind um, Dread if you want to study that more. So I think it's basically probably, in my opinion, more likely someone's DDoSing different marketplaces and then holding them hostage, basically saying, pay us money or we, or we DDoS you. That's my theory, right? So that, That's a pretty good one. I like that one. Yeah. So it was not mine. I, it's the one I read online that, that yeah. makes the most sense to me. <laughs> but yeah 
basically so basically what tor needed was a proof of work algorithm so right now in order to um send a connection on the network you don't really need to pay anything do anything you, you need a computer and that gets amplified but right now if you throw a proof of work algorithm on it right you have to actually do work to send a send a connection now so that makes it much more expensive for an attacker to um ddos the network because instead of just having a bunch of computers you have to do a bunch of um essentially what you will be mining in the web browser, essentially, like very high level. They have to mine some, do some, um, do some mining in the browser using Tevedora's algorithm, and then it lets them through, which it shouldn't be too hard for someone actually using Tor if you're using it on your computer. But if you're like someone trying to use a computer to send 10,000, 20,000 um, connections, it, it, you know, gets very, very, very costly. And it, um, cut, that helps cut down on traffic, essentially. So that's the, set up to what Tor needed. And Tor actually reached out to Tevador and asked them, they were like, hey, we've seen the work that you've done with RandomX, really cool stuff. Could you make something like that, but for Tor? And then basically after that, Tor um, Tevador stepped in and does a review who Tevador is. Tevador worked on RandomX. Once again, I want to keep making these connections. I want, I don't think people realize, I think the, the core devs are too humble honestly right because i feel like because we have arctic we have arctic mine here we have all these people they're very approachable which i think sort of makes um people think that these people aren't like these people are like the lebron of the crypto space which is like it's just crazy to say that like if you read their stuff like i mean top of the game like you're to the point where you're so good at development that tor reaches out to you personally to help them build a proof of work algorithm which like crazy i mean these people are really good at what they do so basically Tevador and 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 other people worked on random x um, Tor reached out to Tevador specifically to make a different algorithm. So Tevador basically started by working, improving RandomX, and he had, he had to deal with two major issues. The first issue was that unlike RandomX, is not meant for um, RandomX is meant for a browser, so it can't be too computationally heavy, right? You can't be um, verifications can't take forever. It needs to be pretty quick because you're running it in a browser. It might be on a phone even, so you can't be as heavy as RandomX is. And also another issue was that, um, sorry, Oof. I was I'm, I'm speaking faster than I'm thinking. But another issue is that it's in a browser, so it can't be as fast. And there's another issue. I'll come with it later. I forgot it right now. But basically, Tevador took the design from RandomX and changed it and added it to, very interesting, to um, Zcash's old proof-of-work algorithm, which I, I forgot the name of it, but I think it was um, Equahash. Yeah. So it's basically... Um, I know Zcash is a bad word here, but Zcash tried to be ASIC resistant a couple years ago and it actually failed, which is another issue on that why I feel what's going on with that. But Trevor, Tevador actually went and studied RandomX and took some parts from Equahash and created EquaX. And it, it is made to be in a browser and it made to be have five, fast verification times and not be as heavy. But one thing about it is that it's not ASIC resistant as RandomX is because it doesn't necessarily need it. Because in order to make a uh, an ASIC for this this algorithm would take like I think Tevador said like twenty eight million dollars, and then and when they, once they yeah it was it was a lot of money, and then if once they do make an ASIC, you can just fork the algorithm very easily, much easier than you can with a network, right? Because with Tor, in order to fork it, you just release a new update, and it takes like you know every everyone's running it, it's a new update. But when, when you're doing something like random like a um, Monero, you need to have you can't go updating your algorithm every month every week it just they they've had up i think back in the day i think updates came out every six months or like maybe every eight months for it and it was a big pain because people have to update their wallets people have to update their servers it's 
basically trying to trying to update backend code is much harder than just updating a Tor browser. So it's not asynchronous resistant, but it's optimized running a browser, which means it's not as heavy um computationally wise and it's not as heavy when it comes to verification time. And I think that's sorry, I'm speaking really fast. This is really cool stuff trying to condense it down here. Any questions? I I went really fast. <laughs> no, no worries, man. Um Tux, you got any questions? That is super cool. I'm glad that Tor's finally moving in this direction because like mm-hmm. i know people have been talking about this kind of thing for years because the first i i believe the the first instance of a proof of work was uh it was hash mail i think is what it was called. yes yes yeah where you had to do or you had to do a little bit of work or like you had to pay mm-hmm. or something uh in order to send an email Unfortunately, that didn't take off um or else it could have been really good for email spam. So I'm glad to see this being used in other things, not just cryptos, because it can be super helpful for, like you talked about, DDoS prevention. Super cool. Yeah, no, these, the cryptographers behind it are, are just, and it's really interesting to see those old ideas. I think that was like, what, like 2009? No, 2007, that idea I, I first came across, not first came across, but I believe it's from that time. It's really interesting to see all these old ideas, especially the old Bitcoin, like OG ideas, like how Finney working on stuff like that, and how, it's good to see people like Monero Space take those ideas and actually commit to them. Where other places, I feel like, have like you know left them alone because they're too hard because it, it you know doesn't make the number go up type stuff. Yeah, no, beautiful. I mean, big picture, not completely related, but like mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people were like, not a, actually, most people weren't, but some people were down and out, right? With the with the news in Europe, the delistings, uh, yeah, of Binance, and just this overall mm-hmm. temperament of Europe is cracking down on Monero. But at the same time, you have news like this, right? And this is the yeah. real news that matters, that the cypherpunks are continuing to forge ahead, not directly related, right? But it, do, it mm-hmm. does help the ecosystem overall, right? By strengthening Tor, it's going to strengthen uh, our ability to always have access to marketplaces and Monero and help have access, anonymous access to Monero itself. So... Uh, you know, it looks like we're, we're losing over there on that end, but mm-hmm. we're really winning on the, you know, on the cypherpunk end where we continue to constantly see development and breakthroughs. So that, that that's the way I view it. Yeah, no, that's a great view. They, the Monero team and crypto space as a whole has been putting out some great work. I know we're in a bear market, right? Bear-ish market. Monero is like basically a stable coin these days, but it's really nice to see people building and just putting out constantly just hit, like hit after hit, honestly. Like as a fan, it's, it's great to see this kind of stuff. And yep. yeah, and anyone that wants to go into more into it, I think, sorry, I, I keep just like <laughs> praising the Cordells, but the way the Cordells explain very um, technical topics is amazing. I think that um, we saw this with actually going back. This is actually from Doug's. Um, once again, if it happened in Monero space, Doug probably has a, a talk about it. like, <laughs> I'm not joking. Hey, like, he had Tevador on. Yeah. Yeah. He had Tevador need money and um, Howard Chu come oh. on and actually talk about it. It was a great talk. One of my favorite talks you've done. And they're very eloquent at explaining it to someone who, like to me, who isn't a cryptographer, what's going on. So I think Tevador's write-up also exemplifies that type of domain expertise and ability to educate and explain to people what's going on in the space. It's very important because we shouldn't just blindly trust the Cordios, right? They should be able to explain and make sense what's going on to us. And Tevador did a great explanation here. So you can pause the video or, you know, write this down, Google it. It's on the GitHub. It's a great explanation if you want more. Awesome, That's man. Good job. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's, we'll, we'll keep it moving. Digoon, stick mm-hmm. around if you can. Yep, I'll uh, be here. You can join in on the, the guest segment. Tux. Always good as usual. Thanks, Digoon. Yeah, yes thank you. thank you so much man um i know we have arctic that's going to jump on but then we also had our other three guests that we were planning on having on 
I see them hanging out in spaces. Uh, Zali, do you want to uh, go to the news segment, or we can do that later? Yeah, yeah, we'll go. To, we'll go to the news segment. But if they want to join via Streamyard, that'd be ideal, so we could see them. So, Zali, if you're listening, uh, Obi, I don't know if you're joining, but uh, if you want to, please join via the Streamyard. And anybody else that was looking to join, uh, please join via the StreamYard link. I will try to post it in the Spaces chat so you see the link. Otherwise, you, you should see it from the tweet that we put out. But yeah, let's let's move ahead with the news, and then we'll see if they jump up on stage to uh, join. All right. Sounds good. And now for our weekly news segment. Hey guys, and welcome to our news section. Today we're going to discuss um, a lot of things, a lot of uh, huge events actually, uh, pertaining to vulnerable delistings, uh, new regulations, cake um, wallet stuff, and also happy June. We're in summer officially, so hopefully you all have a, a vacation planned in the next few months. So we've all been working very hard, so I hope to see you all traveling very soon. Um, we're going to begin the new section by watching a, a video of Biden falling, which is a classic because he's been falling on every single major event. Uh, I feel like so. Let's watch this video in three, two, one, to the floor. <laughs> She's just watching and she just uh, walked back. Also, for the people watching on Twitter, um, so basically, Biden just fell, I think, on Memorial Day. And then, um, yeah, th that's just the video. Um, it's funny, but it's not funny in the same time because he is uh, the leader of the United States. And uh, yeah, the economy is not looking too good. There's a lot, of, a lot of things that are not looking too good, thanks to him and his administration. But we're not going to get into that. Um, then we're going to say, okay, this is not a, this is about Monero. It's not about politics. But you can't separate. I mean, the reason why Monero exists is because of the current administration and the governments, and we want to overthrow them. So we need to talk. I need to show you sometimes stuff like this, you know, uh, political things or pertaining to the economy because they're all tied together. You know, we can't just separate them and just focus on Monero. We've got to see what's outside in the world as well, uh, which is why I decided to show this video. Um, yeah, but let's let's talk about Monero now. So it looks like CX are all banning XMR for EU residents. Then someone posted on um, Reddit as well that um, in Poland, they're going to start banning Monero starting from June 26th. Then if we look on this article, uh, it's not only Poland. I love Poland, but it's not just Poland, it's Spain, Italy, um, and also France. So starting from June 26, you will no longer be able to buy or sell 12 privacy tokens. And that's more specifically um, Liquid Dash, um, Zcash, Ryzen, Pivx, Navcoin, Secret Verge, Fire Beam, Mobilecoin, and of course Monero. You might be thinking, why is Binance turning evil? Well, no, the governments are uh, passing regulations to which um, centralized exchanges need to abide to. Because if they don't abide to the regulation, then they're just not going to be able to continue the, their, their business. So that's what um, that's why. Um, then this brings me to this article, which says that IRS can access Coinbase user trading data. And a Coinbase user had attempted to argue that IRS violated his constitutional rights when it sought his trading data. <laughs> um, now, when you when you use Coinbase, Robinhood, uh, PayPal, um, you know Binance, you basically agree to the platform and their policies. So that's just part of their policy. That, that's what you agree to, that they're able to just see your data, right? So this is why you shouldn't use Binance, you shouldn't use Coinbase, you shouldn't use these apps at all. And there's people that that I know personally that, you know, I've been telling them for a long time, don't use them. You know, they went, they lost money because some uh, some collapsed, uh, some centralized exchanges collapsed. 
but they're still using Robinhood. They're still using Coinbase. And I keep trying to tell them, please stop using it. Especially if you're in the cryptocurrency space for the revolution, if you're on those platforms, you're actually not helping the revolution, uh, but you're just helping furthering the revolution and what we want to achieve because uh, these platforms are tied to the government. So what's the point, you know? The point is to have technology that is is free from their hands, but they are not helping achieve that. Um, Which brings me to uh, this post by Google Yoshi saying, damn, Monero is cool. That's literally it. And that's what the guy had to say. And that's all what I have to say. (laughs) Monero is cool. And you can go on local Monero. There's other ways to obtain Monero rather than Binance. You can buy it on Coinbase, of course. Um, Yeah, and uh, that's how you are part of the revolution, not by being part of Binance and Coinbase. So please stop using them, look into different alternatives. Now, um, why is the government um, so bad? Well, we've been talking about, and as Monero Mateo, Mateo wrote in this tweet, as we've said since forever, price controls are coming, will cause boom in black free market as pricing being outsourced, yes. Oh, meanwhile, Monero takes over darknet markets, yes. Monero used to bypass shortages, rationing, it's going to happen. Monero establishes use case dominance and inelastic demand, going to happen. And the Telegraph tweeted, Downing Street is drawing up plans for retailers to introduce price caps on basic food items such as bread and milk to help tackle the rising cost of living. What does this mean? So... For the average person, this might be a good thing because, uh, you know, we, uh, prices are going up and we can't afford as much. So we definitely need to keep them in control, right? Well, guess what? As far as I understand, guess what? That's going to happen, um, to, you know, small and medium businesses. It's going to destroy them because if the cost of production is higher and higher, but then you can sell your product for a higher price. So you have a margin of profit to sustain your business and be profitable and to be actually sustain it. Well, guess what? That's going to destroy again, a lot of businesses. And it's not a solution to tackle the rising cost of living. The rising cost of living is not because of uh, the people. The rising cost of living is because of our governments and them irresponsibly printing money and disassociating the dollar from, from gold, right? I mean, most currencies are just monopoly money that are just being printed. They're nothing. We just basically, basically agreed I'm showing on the camera for the people watching on Twitter. I'm showing a $1 bill. This is monopoly. This is this is backed by nothing. If you go to a bank and you just say, can I get something in exchange? Well, before, I think, 1971, I think that's the year uh, when we departed from associating the dollar with the gold, they would have said, yes, here's some gold. Now they're going to say, um, no, I can give you uh, four quarters if you want that, but nothing else. We just agreed on using this, but it's nothing. It's monopoly. So, uh, which, you know, I would have but I still need, need it because we still use it. Um, you know, whatever. I can't use Monero to purchase other things. Um, but yeah, so governments, not a good thing. Look into Monero, please. Read Monero standard. Uh, read uh, Mastering Monero. Look into this stuff, okay? Now let's get into, let's see what we have over here. Yeah, let's get into some regulations. So basically, the EU formally signs the Mika. We talked about Mika in the past. Uh, it's a new, let's go back a little bit. It stands for markets in crypto assets, right? So this is a, a legislation um, with tailored rules for the sector, for the crypto sector, right? To regulate it, to control it. And um, we're going to discuss a specific articles, article 68 in a little bit. We discussed it in the past, but I'm just going to remind you of it and why it's not a good thing. Uh, but a parliament spokesperson confirmed to Coinbase that the laws in question include Mika and the transfer of funds rules, as well as the two unregula- unrelated regulations on trade with Ukraine. 
Um, it's basically a law that requires crypto providers to verify their customer's identity when they transfer funds, right? This is, this is what um, it helps to do pretty much um, besides other things. It's, it's a very big uh, framework that they've been working on since 2020. But um, yeah, the European Union, it's uh, the first to introduce such a big uh, framework as far as I know, um, which actually let's discuss. Yeah, let's let's bring this here. Actually, let's discuss this, and then we'll get into something else. Um, so, Douglas tweeted, "Hey, GW Verit, coming off uh, of our chat last night. What's your take on this? But breaking Binance to disable privacy coins, Dash, XMR, etc." Uh, he didn't respond to this, but someone else retweeted two EU blockchain privacy articles for some context. Um, then, of course, Gary, if you're watching, please, you know, if you want to hop on the show, that'll be awesome for a Monero talk, but then um, he gave us two links. One, which we actually talked about in the past, European Union outpaces unfocused United States and crypto regulations, but Mika Article 68 raises concerns. Then this one as well talks about Article 68. What is Article 68? Well, according to Mika Article 68, the rules for operating a trading platform for crypto, for crypto assets must prevent the trading of crypto assets with built-in anonymization unless the holders of the assets and their transaction history can be identified by authorized crypto asset service providers. So this is not appealing to businessmen, uh, businesses. This is not appealing to nobody because you don't have any privacy anymore. So um, yeah, it's not good. And we're going to go back to this post. Damn, Monero is cool. <laughs> um, yeah, because Monero is against, against all this. This all looks nice and to protect the consumer, but this is not what it's all about. We've been talking about it. So on the previous shows and I'm um, just gonna keep mentioning because it's not about your uh, safety, right? It's just about increasing the choke on your neck, regulation by regulation, not really educating. Um, okay, then we're gonna discuss two more things and then we're done with this episode. This one is huge actually, and I'm just gonna read about it a little bit, but please look into uh, uh, the dev section uh, because um, we're going to go more into the details on the dev section. And then please also check out the price report um, and the whole show, of course. So Baudi tweeted, so not only did Monero replace Bitcoin in dark nets, which is true, but it's doing something else Bitcoin couldn't, save Tor from DDoS, which is crazy. So uh, dark.fail um, tweeted, an end to the hidden service DDoS era, huge. Tor projects have just released Tor 0.4.8.1 Alpha. The first to include their new proof of work DDoS mitigation features. And then Negro, uh, then someone, uh, Doug, um, wrote, How is Monero specifically saving Tor? Are they implementing RandomX proof of work? Uh, Body said, Yeah, I don't know the details, but it's basically a CPU proof of work algo which bids for bandwidth whenever it starts getting constrained. Really, really interesting. Um, Again, I'm not going to go into too much detail. I'm just going to touch upon it. Please check out the dev section. And um, yeah, because you're going to learn more about it and then uh, go on the internet and um, check it out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Now, another huge thing is KickLabs shutting down KickPay web, not the mobile, mobile, right? You can still access it for your phone, but just not on the web. Um, this is due to issues with the providers. And of course, um, Vic from KickWallet uh, wants to provide the best um service ever 
And uh, yeah, they decided to take it down for now. It's not going to be forever. They want to get it back by the end of the year. They want reliability because they had reliability issues. Um, some, sometimes the service was uh, weak in this deliverance. So yeah, it's not the end of KPay Web. You know, um, it's probably going to come back by the end of the year. Um, I hope the best to KCloud, Vic, everybody working on the team, and hopefully it's going to come back stronger than ever. Of course, again, this is just uh, the web, not the mobile. You can go on your phone and still uh, purchase gift cards. Whew, now, that was a lot <laughs> of interesting things. Uh, thank you guys so much for checking out this uh, video. The links are in the description. Again, check out the dev section, the price report, and the whole show. And if you ever want me to cover something specifically, you can reach out on Twitter, on Telegram, and I'm going to take a look and we'll cover it next time. But other than that, have a good week and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Tux, I see you you um put in the comments the StreamYard link. I think that's the general StreamYard link, not the one for guests to join on stage, right? I just don't want to confuse. Oh the... yeah, that's the that's the general one. Do you want to put the Twitter spaces link in there? No, no, no. The there's another StreamYard link, you know, the one that people use to join as a guest. So I just put it up there. You know what I'm saying? There's two StreamYard. There's one to just just view and then there's uh Oh, I see. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I see. Um, all right, let's go to the guest segment. Let's take it away because we got a p- bunch of people waiting. We're going to bring up Arctic Mine. Um, who else do we have in here? We got uh... Archie. Um, I saw what's in here, but now she disappeared. Exali, if you can, you're, I saw you over in here before on StreamYard. Uh, opener, but we'll uh, let's start it up. Maybe she can jump in. All right. The Mineratopia guest segment is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange of Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. Cake Wallet is open source, and you always control your own keys. All right, let's get Archie up, Obiter, Arctic, and get Arctic, of course. How's it going, man? Hi. Well, I'm doing good. It's very, very interesting. Um, very interesting comments today. Uh, so yeah, I'm doing good. I'm getting ready for. Uh, Monero Con and a few other things I have to do before then. So I'm going to be doing some traveling starting next week, and uh, then go to uh, New York and then Madrid and then uh, Prague. Beautiful for my talk at uh, Monero Con. Oh, you're stopping through New York. Let us let us know. Maybe we could meet up. Take take you. Up yeah, no, there. I yeah uh, I will be there in early. Um, the week of the thirteenth for about three days, and I, okay, yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll hit you uh, up. this, this some time. So yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll give you the info on that. Um, so my my, my couple of thoughts uh, I, before I get into the uh, MICA thing, um, I was going to comment on a couple of other things. Uh, what we've done on tour with um, using a, a sort of a variant of random X is, of course, about the only way you can prevent a DDoS attack on a privacy network. Monero has a very delicate balance. People don't realize it, obviously, between fees and avoiding these type of attacks. But essentially, what drives it in Monero is that small fee that we pay, a fraction of a cent, uh, to make a transaction, which in in turn is powered by the television. That's what prevents DDoS attacks uh, in Monero. And it's the only way you can do it, really, if you have privacy, is by pricing it. So you've got to figure out a way to put a, a small friction in the system in order to prevent those type of attacks. 
Uh, I mean, we've done a lot of discussion on this. I'd be talking about that in Monero and Monero uh, uh, fee markets and so on, how they work and why we need that. But things like Big Bang and the Flood XMR, which have been talked about many members of the community, you basically restrain that through that fee that we pay, the, the fraction of a cent and the way the whole thing's structured. But it's a very delicate balance to do that. And that is what prevents those type of attacks in Monero. Zcash was attacked, as we all know, because they got the pricing totally wrong. Uh, and that's why they were attacked. Uh, and, but it's about the only way you could do it. So Tor has to do what they're doing. The other, other option I can think of is more micropayments in Monero to basically prevent that type of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of proof of work because of the um, the cost differential uh, due to outside temperature. I, I, I go to Celsius for a second, but I call it the 40 rule. If it's plus 40, uh, proof of work is a bit of a, it's quite a bit of a deterrent. If it's minus 40, which is the same as minus 40 Fahrenheit, a proof of work is not that much of a deterrent because you're going to be freezing cold and you're heating your place by doing this kind of stuff. So you've got to factor that in. But I think what Tor is doing is basically the only thing you can do. The other comment that I have is there's a reason why I believe Elon Musk likes Dogecoin. It is the only other coin other than Monero that has a tail emission and does not have the security problems uh, inherent in Bitcoin. So if you're going to look at something and you're afraid to go to Monero because of all the delistings and the, and the stuff around that, and the privacy and also you want something less controversial, quote unquote, that Dogecoin is basically the, your best bet because Bitcoin has some fundamental design flaws with a falling block reward. Dogecoin doesn't have those problems. And I think that's the fundamental reason why you'd want to look at it. So there's a there's a reason why. Now, I don't, I'm a bit leery of Dogecoin myself because they're going to proof of stake. At least there seems to be a lot of interest in the, in the Dogecoin community doing that. But as it stands right now, as an alternative to Bitcoin, it is way superior simply because of the fact that it's got a tail. It's not as optimized as Monero. It's about 5%, which is way too high. Uh, so they're going to have inflation for quite a while. But they don't have the security. Albatross is slowly creeping on Bitcoin, which eventually is going to cause some very serious problems. And again, I mean, I've been talking about this in uh, in, in Prague. Uh, when I uh, talk about fee markets, but Monet, um, Bitcoin has some very, very serious problems with a falling block reward. And if you look at Monero, on the other hand, the entire security model of Monero, an anti-spam model of Monero, is driven by that tail emission. Take that out and the whole thing collapses. So that's the the, com- the two comments that I have there. So yes, I see why somebody like Musk would be interested in doing it. Uh, well, why, why not Monero, though, if it, ha- if it has all the same... Well, has well uh, the, it seems to be... The, a, a real liberty advocate, right? Yes, but the problem he's got, and he's afraid of the blockchain surveillance companies. And this is why we go back into this MICA issue. Because the fundamental problem here, and I think I listened to a lot of the comments, and I have to disagree with the premise that this is a government issue. It's not. Uh, it is a blockchain surveillance company that have sold governments something they did not want in the first place, which is this idea that you can surveil the blockchain and then turn around and detect criminal activity on chain. The fact of the matter is it doesn't work on Bitcoin. It is fundamentally flawed. That is what's driving blockchain surveillance, and I'm specifically talking to these blockchain surveillance companies, that decided we can, they went to the government and they say, okay, buy our software as a service black box pack, package. We'll tell you where a Bitcoin address is associated with criminal activity or not. 
and give you some sort of probability. If you sit back from a law enforcement perspective, that is too good to be true. I mean, if all that simple, if all you had to do to detect criminal activity was to sign up for a service, punch in some numbers in a computer, pay them money, and we'll tell you whether you got a criminal or not. It's a bit more law enforcement than that. And this is reality what's going on here. They've done a really good sales job, but realistically, there's way more privacy in Bitcoin that people give it credit for. Uh, I know that the Seth privacy, I mean, I had some disagreements with him back two years ago, and he's come back more to my line of thinking on this. There's a lot of privacy in Bitcoin. The problem is, is that it doesn't defeat blockchain surveillance in an obvious manner that a regulator or a government who are not tech experts would buy the fact that they could surveil the, the blockchain. And that's what's behind M- 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 MICA Section 68. It's actually been renumbered renamed to uh, remember something else. But uh, we commented on that in, in the Monero Policy Group uh, when we did a submission to it. It's on MoneroPolicy.org. You can read all the comments about it and identified all the problems. The reason that's in there is because of lobbying by the blockchain surveillance companies. And they've done a really good sales job behind the scenes, not just on the EU, but on Britain, but on Japan, but on Australia, but on um, Korea. And the list goes on, even in places like Canada. Like, like it's behind the scenes lobbying by these companies to sell a product, that, a service that doesn't work. In fact, it's incredibly dangerous. Uh, I think the panel that we had at uh, Monerotopia on that litigation in the United States, and I can't get into the details of that because I'm working with them. So I can't get into any of the details of that particular, uh, event, uh, uh, particular issue. But what I can say is that the stuff simply does not work in Bitcoin. There's enough privacy in Bitcoin to, to make this whole idea that you can surveil the blockchain and trace transactions in any reliable fashion for any legitimate law enforcement purpose, work is simply not true. And that's the reality. And that's the real fight that we need to be taking, uh, which is complementary. It's not replacing people saying they're going to go the anarchist or, or the, or the, or the cypherpunk group. I, I agree with that. But realistically, we've got to go back to get to the root cause of this problem, which is blockchain surveillance and the fact that blockchain surveillance companies have been selling governments something the governments did not want in the first place. They were quite happy with just going with uh, standard uh, KYC regulations and they're applied to uh, cash assets and so on, which would not have singled out Monero. The reason they singled out Monero and even coins like Dash, Dash doesn't even have the privacy level of uh, Bitcoin Cash, but it's singling it out because of the, it's totally political. It's because these blockchain surveillance companies have been lobbying behind the scenes, and that's the problem. And, are, and are there other lot like I mean, the Bank Secrecy Act, right? I mean that that that's existed well before chain analysis, before cryptocurrency. So I imagine that there were there were lobbyists that 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 cre- essentially created that, right? Aren't they also behind these actions? Well, the Bank Secrecy Act basically says you'd have to do KYC. Uh, and and that doesn't interfere with Monero in any way, shape, or form. I mean, all that happens with the Bank Secrecy Act is that if you're going to send money from A to B through a bank, then they got to do all this uh, um, idea that you have to know who you're sending it to. The bank has to know who they're sending the money to. That's what it says. But it doesn't ban cash. Now, when it was introduced in 1970, 10,000 U.S. dollars is more like 100,000 U.S. dollars today. So the biggest problem there is that they, they haven't updated the, 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 the thresholds, at least to what it was in 1970. I, I don't think there is a big industry behind that uh, in, the, in the banking industry. If anything, the banking industry hates it because it's a huge cost to, to do all this stuff. So the Bank Secrecy Act is not, I think, driven by corporate lobby. Quite, quite not the case at all. 
What the regulators wanted to do is basically apply the Basic Secrecy Act to, in say, United States example, to uh, cryptocurrency, which is what was passed at the uh, end of the Trump administration, bipartisan bill, uh, bill in Congress, which we in the Monero um, uh, policy group actually supported. We were one of the few that supported it. Treat cryptocurrency the same way you treat cash. Simple as that. How about like tornado cash, right? We woke up one day and boom, out of nowhere, tornado cash completely banned by the, you know, by the, by the treasury department, essentially. Um, what, what's, you know, what's driving that? Is that also, you think, chain analysis companies behind the scenes? Well, part of it is that, but the issue behind it is if you read back the guidance from FinCEN going back to 2013, they were very clear on what was money transmission and what was not. Now, one of the reasons why Monero is very uh, immune to this is because we do not have a pre-mine, we do not have a ninja mine, we do not have a, a, a fundus reward. They had the hands in the till. The reason they could go after Tornado Cash is because the developers had the hands in the till. They were getting a cut out of each transaction. That's what allowed them to do that. If they had just released the software and done everything to, to donations the way Monero has done it, they couldn't have been touched. So the reason behind that, they could, all you had to do is read the FinCEN guidance from 2013. It was been around for like a decade. And people are, but nobody read it. Like, uh, they, they put in there and they, oh, well, there's very few coins that have not gotten themselves into trouble. Bitcoin, yes. Litecoin, Dogecoin, Monero, Bitcoin Cash. But pretty much everything else is violated there. So they set themselves up for securities issues and they set themselves up for, uh, those type of FinCEN issues. If you if you stay out, keep your hands out of the till. I don't know how old-fashioned that sounds because I'm talking about cash. But if you keep, as a developers, I mean, the reason I agreed even to be involved in the coaching is because we do not have a pre, a pre mine. So that's the reason why Monero uh, uh, has not been attacked in that way. But you have to actually read what they what these regulators put out. They ignored it. <coughs> it's the same thing with security as well. The overwhelming number of of cryptocurrencies on the market are it's basically unregistered securities. Just because you put it on a blockchain doesn't make it change. The, it's not just the Bank Secrecy Act. It's the Securities Act of the 1930s. I mean, you could take a security. You could have a gilded document, which was done in the, uh, 100 years ago. You could move it to a centralized ledger, or you could put it on a blockchain, but you still have a security. And, in fact, the same principles of the legislation that was passed in the 1930s apply. It doesn't change it because you put it on a blockchain. It's still a security if the thing behaves as a security. So, I mean, I, I think it's a – sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah, yeah. So, so my so so my basic uh, point about this is that we have to actually step back for a minute and ask ourselves: just because you put something on a web on a blockchain does not change the fact that you may have a security. Thought you're doing is a security. If you want to be truly decentralized, you have to stay out of uh, paying yourself a founder founder's reward or a debt tax or a pre mine or all of this kind of stuff. You got to stop printing money out of thin air and, and selling it which is what a lot of these other projects have done. So you got to keep your hands out of the till, basically. I know I've asked you this in various different ways, but given the most recent developments, where do you see things headed, particularly in the US? Uh, and I guess, let's say Europe. Do we get to the point where essentially Monero is effectively banned? Uh, maybe delisting actually... all, all major exchanges, uh, and then we wake up one morning and see something similar to what they did with Tornado Cash. No, I don't think that's going to happen. And I'll tell you why. I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a major blow up in the courts. This blockchain surveillance structure, which is what's behind it, is not going to survive any kind of legal scrutiny. 
And then whether this happens in the U.S. or it happens somewhere else, the minute that that dam is breached in one jurisdiction, it's going to breach in all of them. And there's going to be a major shakeup, and it's going to be a major, uh, uh, and I'm telling you, you could see crashes in prices. You can see major disruptions. But I don't think that this blockchain surveillance thing is, is sustainable constitutionally in the United States. I don't think it's sustainable in Europe uh, under primarily European civil rights uh legislation, uh, pan-European uh, uh, civil rights and civil and all that sort of thing. Uh, proportionality, which is a big thing in the EU law, uh, is not going to support. So, I mean, what I see happening is a a major breakthrough in the courts. You whether it happens in the United States or whether it happens in Europe, I don't know. You think that could happen with something like uh, the case that was going on with Roman Sterlinov? We, we had them talk at Minerotopia. We had them on the show. It seems like they're, they're really... You know, going down that rabbit hole of exposing the chain analysis companies as as crossing the line. Okay, that particular case I can't speak to because I'm actually working with. Okay. Okay, so I, I'm privy to information that I'm not allowed to disclose for very important reasons. So I cannot speak specifically to that. What I can say is what I've been saying for a long time: the blockchain surveillance on Bitcoin does not work at all. It's even worse on Ethereum. Uh and what they're prob- most likely measuring is bias or what's called systematic error. I got to ask, you you working with them, that sounds great. Did that, did that come out of Monerotopia? From- yes, it did. Oh, fantastic. Beautiful. Beautiful to see that. So I did some ne- a lot of networking there, and, and it came straight out of there. I was quite uh, – but, yes, I, I definitely am involved with that, and I cannot awesome. discuss I, I told them you are the man to talk to when it, when it came to uh, – So uh, that's the, the – the, the, but basically what I'm saying about this is what I've been saying for the last four to five years. This is flawed as a technology. It does not work in Bitcoin. And I like to say – I like to give a, a, a big hands out to Seth for privacy because he finally came to the realization that there is privacy in Bitcoin, and there is privacy in Bitcoin. The problem is, is that it's not just – this is the real challenge for Monero. We don't just have to hide the signal, what we call in, in scientists the signal, which is the actual true spend, shall we say. We have to hide in the noise all the fake um, what's called bias signals or systematic errors or bias created by these blockchain surveillance companies to make it patently obvious that the stuff doesn't work, to prevent innocent people from being falsely accused. And that's the real challenge for Monero. Much tougher than actually burying the real spend. Because there's a fairly they create enough uncertainty that it's impractical to do surveillance. But these guys have done such a good sales job on governments and regulators that now we have this situation where the the reason that they want to delist Monero is because it exposes the failure of blockchain surveillance in a blatant way. They, they don't have a tool to offer for it. They, don't, they, they, they make no income off, off of Monero. No, they, well, no, it, it just demonstrates the failure. But the problem is that the tool, so-called tool, and I don't like calling it a tool, does not work on Bitcoin. And this is the point. There's enough privacy in Bitcoin. And this is very hard for people in the Monero community to accept. But a lot of people say, oh, it's a surveillance coin. No, it's not. You do not have reliable surveillance at all on Bitcoin. And and, and Bitcoin's problem is not privacy. Let me be blunt about this. Scale. Bitcoin problems is scaling. You can retrofit privacy onto a chain very easily. In fact, Monero is living proof of that. Every single hard fork of Monero has some kind of item making privacy more efficient or improving it in some way, shape, or form. And we've been doing this for like nine years. So, I mean, this is not, privacy is not something you, <coughs> you can't do it with Bitcoin because the problem in scaling is that you have to address this falling block reward and you have to change the actual um, emission curve, which in terms of if you play around with that, 
then you suddenly become a central bank of the very thing you're trying to avoid. I got to push, push back a little bit, though. I mean, we have body saying, got to be honest, I have a very hard time believing that BTC has. I mean, we've seen so many examples of Bitcoin failing for privacy reasons, right? I understand that theoretically things can be done. But the fact is, I mean, just look at the amount of Bitcoin that has been confiscated by the U.S. government. And that's basically due to its lack of privacy. Right. Well, but is it because they actually identified an actual crime or is it because that what they really are identifying is the bias created by the blockchain surveillance companies? So right. the, that's, that's the point. So, so my point is, is, yes, there is a real harm being done by confiscation of Bitcoin. But is that really due to an actual crime? And is it due to the fact that, for example, in the case of uh, the very famous example, which was the, uh, the the first one in the, um, where they actually seized the laptop. If that had Monero, they could have confiscated Monero the same way. I mean, the point is, are they really identifying a criminal activity? Or are they really just confiscating Bitcoin based on the false accusations of these blockchain surveillance companies? Because if yeah, it's the latter... Transparency is what allows them to make these false... Whether you believe they're well, false, I mean, they... With Monero, they really can't make any. Well, no, no, I agree with that. So what you're what you're saying is, and I, and I don't disagree with that point, is that you have to bury not just the actual signal, but the false accusations mm-hmm. of the blockchain surveillance companies, and that's why Monero excels over Bitcoin. So, so then you can avoid the false accusations. What you have in Bitcoin, in many most situations, is the illusion of surveillance. Oh, we get an echo. What? Okay. Let me. Uh, Arctic, this this is amazing, but I feel like we, uh, we got to get these other two guests that we. No, no, I, I know what I'm saying. I mean, I, you got to make that distinction. So that's yeah. my point. That I'm saying. Yeah. So, so I love it. Um, and I'll have to have you on again soon. We haven't done a, a full Monero talk in a while. No, uh, I'm here for a while. Yeah. It, it might be time. Uh, but let's let's get Archie and Obiter. They were they were so kind to join us today. Uh, you got you guys there. You guys still there? <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Do you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You want to quickly introduce yourselves? Uh, obviously, you don't you don't need to say what you don't want to say, but uh, maybe Archie, go ahead, go first. Hi, everyone. So thank you first uh, to like welcoming us here. And actually, I would have listened to you, Arctic Mind, more because like <laughs> I already like listened to you some video just like one week ahead, and like I love when you are speaking. So I'm a bit sorry to just like disturb you, but it's not gonna be that long. Um, you know, I'm just like uh, in Monero, not that long, actually, guys. Uh, I just got introduced thanks to Obito, actually. <laughs> so it was back then in September. So it's not really like it's really not that far away. Um, but I got really interested in that privacy matter and like how how Monero is working and stuff. And like I'm really trying to get in depth to understand how technology works inside that and like all the implication politics and stuff about Monero. And like you guys are helping me to understand that as well. So I'm just a nobody which understand a bit more about the economics world and why Monero is important inside that. So, yeah. So you want me to introduce more yeah. uh, about the the Mika and TFR stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's have Obiter qu- do a quick intro, and then I'll, then yeah. I'll ask you guys both kind of a, a question given the the most recent news. Obiter, go ahead. Yeah, I know uh, everybody. Uh, so um, I'm uh, Obito. I work. Um, with uh, my uh, majestic bank and uh, i decided to um, to come to uh, talk uh, with uh, everybody about uh, the recent uh, regulation so um have we seen uh, with uh, mika 
is um, Europe uh, want uh, to know um, the sender and the reception uh, of a, a, tra a transaction. So uh, you have to know uh, who sends money and uh, who received money uh, in Europe. And because you have Monero, it gives uh, fears to um, to such a service provider like uh, Binance, and they uh, simply don't want to uh, to do uh, all these procedures. So uh, they simply uh, ban the coin. And uh, as as we know in France, uh, they don't uh, they um, they don't really like uh, Monero. So uh, it's uh, very uh, complicated. Uh, we know uh, we can be uh, very banned uh, from uh, one day or another. And uh... Any opinion on, on Arctic's theory about essentially it's it's the chain analysis companies that are, are the root cause. They're the ones lobbying um, to, to, to push these changes, to push these delistings. In my opinion, uh, like I, I will probably need to listen it uh, a second time to just like really make sure I understand what you said. But I really think that in Europe and especially in like Binance and exchanging like exchanges and what they call caps, CASP. So it's like crypto asset service providers. So it's not obviously just exchanges. It can be also like, I don't know, I am someone who wants to sell uh, a product that I'm just like crafting in my house or something. If I want to sell it to Monero for Monero, for example, uh, or for any kind of crypto, crypto, cryptocurrency, if someone wants to buy my uh, good or the product I'm selling, if it's uh, ahead, no, not ahead, if it's more than 1,000 euro, for example, I need to provide my ID. Like if I want to sell that to someone, like a product which is which I'm going to sell more than 1,000 euro, I can't accept any uh, people who want to buy my stuff if I can't like identify who is it. Who is it? So that that's really a problem because it's not only exchanges. Like it really just um, it's uh, how do I say that? It just stops or I, not really stops, but it slows how the the parallel economy can like just getting started in France and in Europe especially. Like th this is very this is very restrictive. And um, if I can just a bit go further than that uh, for the exchange part, if I want to send money from, to myself, for example, but in another exchanges, even if it's not Monero, because obviously it's not Monero anymore, um, I have to provide my date of birth, my name, my address, and stuff like that. So this is really intrusive. And like for, for my part, uh, I like never bought any Monero from exchanges. And I think this is kind of a good news because it's just like revealed to everyone in France and in Europe that... Monero is doing something different in the crypto space. It's just like something that Europe doesn't want because all the like big companies that needs to come to France and just like doing their stuff and addressing the, the French market, they can't do it <laughs> if they are they want to just like be related to Monero. And in a in a sense, it just shows that they don't want to talk about it. And even the like biggest media in France, for like for example, BFM Crypto, which is which is like kind of bullshit. I'm sorry, but it's really bullshit. And like when they talked about that subject, they didn't they didn't even mention Monero. Like like if we don't want people to know that it's existing, so that that is really, really like uh, all the process to just make Monero disappear from the mind of people. I think, and it's not just only wanting them to like. The exchange is not, you know, like dealing with Monero. It's more like they really don't want people inside Europe and France to understand that this kind of solution is existing actually in their country, which is which is uh, really interesting to me because like people who want to come to Monero will have to go to the peer-to-peer -peer 
exchanges to buy it. So in a sense, it's just like give them a better operational security from start, which mm-hmm. in a sense is kind of a good news, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, no, very good take. Go ahead, Artic. Okay, I think we're talking about two different things here. Um, the, the war on cash is a major problem in Europe, and that's exactly what you're talking about, the, the 1,000 euro limit. Um, and so that is fundamentally does not preclude in itself that you could treat Monero the same way. So you will go to an exchange, you withdraw Monero from the exchange and give your ID and all that information. But then when you spend it, if you go the cash route, and by the way, if, although at this point in time, a thousand euro zones are very low, you could eliminate a lot of your own uh, vulnerability in, in large parts of Europe by, by paying cash and everything under a thousand euros. If you did that and stop using cards under a thousand euros, you will go way more effective from a privacy perspective for in-person transactions. So that in itself is the problem is that it's not adjusted for inflation, but that in itself is a serious problem. But it's a different problem from the selective targeting of Monero. And this is the key point that we're missing. It's the same is true about Bitcoin. And so what you have is that they've been given the illusion with cryptocurrency, that you can trace it. And in fact, it's worse. I mean, I'd much rather have a situation where you have to know exactly who it is and you don't have the possibility of being accused like you do with a debit card or a credit card than I would a situation like in Bitcoin where you could be totally uh, legal, do everything totally legal and be falsely accused because of the false accusations of the blockchain surveillance government. So it's way worse. Uh, Monero is sort of like Euro. You could either have it in an exchange and then you withdraw it and you have to give your ID. But once you got under that 1,000 euros, you can have a lot of privacy if you simply don't use a debit card. And realistically, yeah, the, the uh, problem is... Uh, when uh, you uh, withdraw uh, Monero uh, with a KYC, if you are in uh, Europe, uh, they yes. don't like uh, privacy. So uh, you will end in uh, like a blacklist or a red list where uh, your KYC is uh, tied to uh, your Monero. So... It's uh, untraceable, but, but uh, they will say uh, this guy I, uh, has buy uh, Monero. Monero is a criminal coin, etc. And that's all uh, create uh, all these uh, these problems uh, actually uh, in Europe. But that's the problem in here is no different than if you actually are withdrawing euros and paying cash for everything under the threshold. And that's true. And she says that's my point. I mean, I I'm going to Europe and I pay cash. And the reason I pay cash is I don't want to pay 5% spread on Eurocat. And, and when I'm well within the 1,000 euro limit. So, I mean, and in fact, that's what I plan to do in Spain. And that's what I plan to do in, 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 in Chesia. And, and, I, and, and, and you go there, and in Spain, we call it pago en efectivo. And I pay for everything in cash. And yes, if you go over 1,000 euros, okay, fair enough. You, you, you have to use a card which I find incredibly annoying because I have to pay this 5% spread, which is, uh, uh, it's like it's increasing the, the VAT basically by 5% on, on every transaction. So so that's a separate issue because uh, the, the card payments, and in Italy, there's been already significant pushback uh, by small merchants on this issue uh, of the cash payments. This is a separate issue. What has happened with Monero and why it's a lot more dangerous, if I withdraw a Bitcoin, from an exchange, I can be falsely accused by the blockchain surveillance company. If I withdraw Monero, I cannot. I can do all my KYC. So it's much safer, in my view, to people be withdrawing Monero from an exchange with KYC and then going ahead and trading it for Bitcoin. Well, now there's no way to trace it back to the person. And at least you protect the Bitcoin holder from 
the potential false accusation, which is way more of a threat. But I mean, if you're worried about privacy at this point in time in Europe, and I realize that there's this inflation in the euro, which is why it's a lot more dangerous, the simplest thing to do is to stop using car payments under a thousand euros. And if you do that, you will pull a rug from under this thing right at the right at the get-go. I mean, but when you go because here's the thing: if I pay, if I go and what payments do you make? Uh, you pay your rent. Let's say it's more than a thousand euros. Probably is. Okay, most people know where you live. That's not really private. It's a cup of coffee. It's a small payment. It's where you travel on the bus. This kind of stuff that's really the important issue. So I think realistically, the solution to these problems, the simplest solution, is to stop using cards. To be honest, and, and, and it's a very good. And if people started doing that, you have a real pushback but against this. What What if like uh, it's happening? Uh, I don't know which country. Just let Let me check on the map because I don't remember the name of the country. But this is North Africa. Uh, this is there is one country that like just took some uh, some of the bank bills and just like from day one to day two they just started to say okay now this kind of bank bills are not legal tender anymore in the country so what what's happening if like tomorrow like one guy said um, in the comments that now it's still legal to buy Monero in Europe and that's fine. But what if tomorrow it does? It actually changes because Monero is like really tied to this criminal activity on online, and like they well, are really tying up, especially in France. Like guys, I'm really trying to say that in France, in speci- especially in France, they are really tied tying up uh, like a lot, and I really like feel un- uncomfortable for the future. Like if if someone knows that I bought XMR, XMR, I really <laughs> feel that in some years maybe. I don't know. Like, it can be really dangerous to me because, like, they, imagine tomorrow they just say, okay, everyone who is buying Monero is tied to criminal activity. So they can, you can go in jail for that. What's happening to the people who just bought XMR one day in exchanges and just, like, send it, as you said, and just, like, trade it to Bitcoin? Yeah, of course. But if they got KYC, then they know and they are on the list. Like, just government can ask them and send someone to the door. And tell them, oh, did you buy Monero one day? And just start to asking questions and stuff. It's really dangerous. I think you're opening a door here that is a, a goal into making it illegal. And that, I think, is going to provoke uh, a legal response in the European Court of Human Rights. I'll tell you I that right know. now. I, I mean, I think if they go that far, and it may come down to that, it's going to provoke a response. And this is why they're avoiding it. Because uh, if you start doing what you're saying, you're going to get a legal response and it's going to blow up in there. Um, what they're trying to do, and this is why they're going the exchange route and the behind the scenes route and so on, and the, and the besmirchment approaches and this approach, is that you turn around and try to push it out of the exchanges and then try to push it underground. That is what they're trying to do because if they go flat out I see what you say. I think they're going to get a cost. They're going to get a challenge in the courts, and and it's and it's not the first time it happened. I think it happened with the cryptography laws, where they were thrown out precisely because they went too far. So I think it's a real risk here if you start banning the thing. Um, and and realistically, I mean, yes, I mean the war on cash is a serious problem. I don't dispute it at all. And some European countries, I know Spain is one of them, uh, and where you you know they they're trying to push the card payments, but they're also getting a lot of resistance. Uh, Italy, there was a real backlash on that with card payments, and I think they wanted to push it back to $5,000, uh, precisely because they got started to get a real backlash because of the fees of the, the card companies. So so the friction, uh, this is not as simple as it sounds. But I mean, you have a very valid point. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with this, but what I'm saying is what we're dealing with with Monero specifically is that 
is, is a separate issue is that it is being targeted vis-a-vis Bitcoin. And, and the real problem that I see, because the problem with Monero is, is that you have no knowledge. So you can't accuse somebody. So yes, you can say, well, you're going to ban it, but then you get into a constitutional problem. You're going to get into a human rights problem. Then you're going to get into a legal fight. But with Bitcoin, what you have is you got these companies making accusations. I mean, I can pay Bitcoin under a thousand euros. In fact, the example that we had in the uh, Monero Policy Group was just under a thousand euros. So it was selected to be under a thousand. And the person who receives the Bitcoin gets extorted by a terrorist or by a criminal. You don't move the Bitcoins on chain at all. And they sell the private key. And to the blockchain surveillance company, it looks like you literally bought fertilizer and diesel fuel to make a bomb and blow up a building in the United States. And the problem is, is that once you spend that Bitcoin, it's way worse than if you use a debit card or a credit card. Once you spend that Bitcoin, the blockchain surveillance company, that if the person who you spend gets compromised, they steal the private key. There's nothing on chain, nothing. And they trade it to a terrorist. It looks like you actually bought the terrorist items. That's how bad it is. And that's how unreliable this blockchain surveillance is. So I would take a debit card or a credit card any day over Bitcoin. So what you say, like, if I can ask the question, like, yes, some surveillance company can, like, um, impersonate you by buying, uh, by buying keys and, like, well, the... an activity that you didn't actually make? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. But, but it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the financial company. They, they'd be manipulated. It would be a criminal or a terrorist. And in the scenario that we had, and, and this is a, and it's a scenario that we put in, the, in, in, for, in our submission to the European Union and the policy group. The scenario, and I'll give you the scenario right now. It was, and it was based on, on a on partial truth truth case. The scenario was you had a, a couple from Europe. They were driving a small RB on a Canadian highway with European plates. I've actually... Uh, and they got broken down in the middle of nowhere. They hire a tow company to uh, get them going again. And the fee comes just under a thousand euros. They pay with Bitcoin. The tow company, and then they go on their merry way. The tow company gets extorted by a criminal, which extorts the private key. Not they don't do anything on the blockchain. They stored the private key that these Europeans gave to the unique address. Keep in mind, in Bitcoin, you, you, if they use the standard way to do, to do Bitcoin, you don't reuse addresses. So you for each transaction, you use a different address. So that private key that gets extorted, it gets sold to a terrorist in the United States. Now nothing shows up on chain. The terrorist uses the Bitcoin to buy diesel fuel and fertilizer and blows up a federal building. These innocent people. Going to the United States and they get accused with a capital offense that attracts the death penalty in the United States. And the blockchain surveillance company does that. And there's nothing they can do to prove their innocence against this accusation because there's nothing on the chain that moves any transactions. All they did is the criminal extorted the private key from a merchant and in turn sold it to a terrorist that they used it to buy um, a fertilizer and diesel fuel to blow up the building. Now, is this based on myth? Well, it's, I'm putting together by myself, so I'll tell you the, the, the facts. First fact is I did tow a an RV behind my pickup truck on a Canadian highway with European plates. I did, and it was an I don't know. Uh, it was I give you a little hint for people that wanted to do uh, metric and imperial conversions. The weight of the RV was 3,800 kilos, and the uh, hitch of my truck is rated at 10,000 pounds. Was I legally? Was doing something safe or not? Leave that as a question to the to the listener. But I mean, that's a true story. 
there, there's been case of criminal activity extorting tow companies in Canada. This was documented happened in Ontario. So that is also true. The Oklahoma bombing is a very famous terrorist act in the United States, and the person involved uh, actually was executed. So we have a situation where innocent citizens of the European Union are traveling through Canada and the United States, and they get framed on a capital offense through blockchain surveillance that attracts the death penalty of the United States. That's the scenario, and, and it's on the Monero Policy Group. And we put that in together as an example of how dangerous this is. That's what we're talking about. Very interesting. So that's that's what I'm talking about. And this is why it's way worse than what you're talking about. Just the world of cash, just debit, all that kind of stuff. I choose a credit card or debit card anytime before I use Bitcoin. Archie and Obiter, how do you, how do you see this uh, these recent delistings and you know the regulations coming down in Europe affecting Monero? In, in, in France, affecting adoption. I don't know if you do want to take the the, the take, <laughs> but for my part, actually, it doesn't change a thing. It doesn't matter because, like, I, I, as I told you in private, like, <laughs> I am not even just paying attention to what they say. You know, I just want to use something. I'm just using something. <laughs> That's it. So, yeah, they can ban it. They can say whatever they want. They can say that I'm going to get burned if I'm using Monero. It doesn't going to change the thing that I'm not want to use Euro. That's it. Or at least, and like, the least as possible. That's what I mean. Obiter has... talk, I have a question for you. Are you talking Euro in a debit card or Euro in cash? Big um, excuse me. Uh, can you repeat the question? Uh, I the don't question is, are you talking Euros on a debit or credit card or Euros in cash? I talked about both because uh, when you store a KYC, you, you store the ID of the user. Um, the day uh, exactly uh, what um, Ashley said, the day uh, they will make uh, Monero uh, completely illegal, they will have uh, all information um, directly uh, from uh, the crypto provider. And uh, they don't care about uh, cash or, um, or bank because they know you bought uh, Monero. And that's why uh, we... Um, we try uh, in France uh, to push about uh, buying Monero uh, through uh, local Monero, etc. So uh, people can stay um, anonymous on, uh, or uh, not uh, giving uh, an ID and uh, create a deniability because uh, one day they can say Monero is illegal. And uh, in this case, people need to say, I don't have Monero or I don't use Monero. And uh, in this case, a KYC is not possible. I guess my response to that is I have a boat. Yeah, just go in the ocean or somewhere. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, I lost it in a boating accident. I actually bought it. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious about it. I, I don't see. I mean, it's a legitimate concern. I'm. I'm I. I. And I respect that. But I don't see that as the as the risk. Uh, the 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 biggest risk. I mean, I don't have a problem with getting Monero with KYC or getting euros with KYC in cash. Ah. Uh, and I guess that that's the, by the, by a different point of view. I have a, a, a bigger bigger problem of the exposure of using credit cards and debit cards for small transactions, in particular. Um, so I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. But anyway, okay. that's okay. Fair. That's okay. Fair. I gotta ask. Um, that's because okay. when you have cash, maybe uh, you are KYC when you uh, withdraw uh, to the ATM. But uh, when you make peer to peer trade with uh, people you know to buy and say uh, money roll with cash, there's no uh, point of uh, surveillance where people can say, oh, this guy used Monero, and uh, this is what uh, we want to avoid, because uh, we know people uh, today are uh, in France, uh, they can have uh, their bank account freezed because uh, they uh, sent uh, Bitcoin, uh, they sent a transaction to, uh, 
to Binance. So uh, today they freeze uh, already accounts because uh, they buy uh, crypto uh, while uh, crypto is legal. The day uh, Monero will be uh, illegal, it will be uh, very uh, harder. So um, I prefer to, uh, to educate people uh, how to buy uh, in peer-to-peer. Well, the, the way to do it will be to pay cash for it. Uh, yeah. uh, but I wouldn't pay Bitcoin for it. I mean, uh, like, like if that's if that's your cons- that's your your risk mo- model, I would say withdraw cash and then pay, uh, buy a Monero for cash. Yes, exactly. Opener. Uh, that, uh, yeah, has, that, has, that would be my suggestion. I, I gotta ask: Has Majestic seen any uptick in usage since the the, the listing? I don't have the uh, right to say about it. Okay. But uh, like I said, my my personal approach is I gotta I gotta is to undermine the whole thing behind blockchain surveillance at, at the legal level. And I think that's going to help with the Europeans. That's that's all I can. Say. That's that's a very interesting uh, take, take mine. And I, I will try to you know like get a bit in depth research on myself to understand more that what you said. But I'm really like I don't know. I, it's just uh, like it's just a, a think. It's just a thought. But I really think that European is gonna get really tough about anonymous payment. And like um, just remember that in remember i'm saying that like if i lived it but i didn't live it actually but like uh i he, just tell me if i'm saying shit right now but um i recall that when they like just uh stopped uh you know doing the conversion by dollar and gold like some the government of the united states just send people inside the house of the guy to ask them to give them gold if they like keep them keep some gold in their house they had to give it to the government is that correct or is that absolutely wrong okay that, no no that, that is that was actually the uh when they did it and that was between the 1932 i believe in 1971 in the united states you could not hold gold if you were us and i saw that they were they were like to do like a campaign to just like gather the gold that the people were just keeping in their house so what what today <laughs> with the world I can, I can in, tell you, can I can tell you. really want you not to use something that they don't want you to use? Okay, let me give you a different example. My bank in Canada, I can actually buy gold. Great. Okay? Because I happen to have a trading. If not, I can buy it from a dealer. If I go to the bank and I withdraw $50,000 in cash, it go nuts on the KYC and all this stuff. If I withdraw $50,000 worth of gold, not a problem at all. In France, I'm just just for buying a piece of silver. I have to give full KYC, man. Like, well, you know, in both cases is KYC. But the distinction is, if ah, I went to, the, I, I, you know, in, in one case I'm buying gold and I had no problem. We have no problems at all. If I even withdraw more than three thousand dollars in cash, they go crazy. That's the distinction. So uh, you can get the gold out, but you can't get the cash out. So that's. I wanted to ask you a question. You said that yes. um, it looks to you like they're, in your opinion, over, over the coming years, we're basically going to defeat um, chain analysis in a legal sense by going through the courts. Do you, yes. What kind of distinction do you make between, so for example, the courts might have a hard time bringing a criminal case against someone and using chain analysis as evidence. You might even have a, a difficult time in a civil suit using chain analysis as evidence. But what about the distinction between that and then putting regulations and requirements that require companies like exchanges to use chain analysis as well, a means of filtering, um, like, you know, the, bad, bad prob- the problem with that is, is that if the reason you cannot do a chain analysis fails in the courts is because it's unreliable. And if you and if you go and say that a blockchain, I call it blockchain surveillance, because chain analysis actually plus is deterministic. 
but uh, if it's unreliable, it's the reason the ghosts throw it out. And, and, and the reason it becomes unreliable is because you have both false positives and false negatives. Then you have a very strong human rights case and civil rights case to say, I don't want to be falsely accused, and therefore uh, it has to be banned. So I don't think you can have a situation where the courts start throwing out blockchain surveillance in, in, legal, in, 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 in criminal cases and in civil cases, and at the same time you have regulations saying that you have to use that. That's not going to hold up. So either if, have a distinction in, in terms of like the level of evidence required? Like, for example, a, a civil case would be the preponderance of the evidence uh, a, yes. a criminal case might be beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, in a... Yes, in a that, that, that's a typical standard, yes. You still make the claim that you have reasonable suspicion that something might have happened, right? When but still that, happens. but the problem that you have is the minute you discredit it, even to reasonable suspicion, I think a blockchain surveillance can be discredited even to the level of reasonable suspicion because of... Uh, uh, but. It, and the minute you discredit it in the courts, the minute it fails in the court, then you can't support a regulatory structure that requires something that the courts have already said it's failing or unreliable. And that leads the open of a constitutional challenge to a human rights. What so, kind of timeline do you expect on that? So, so what's happened, what has happened here is that this type of technology has not been challenged in the courts at all yet. And that's why we see what's happening right now. The, if this is a successful challenge, and I put it to you, if it's a successful challenge in one jurisdiction and another one, another one, the whole thing will collapse. That's what I'm saying. Because you can't have the court saying, well, this is not beyond a reasonable doubt or you know, you know, the various standards, which are similar. Or this is not even good to balance of probability. This is not even good to reasonable suspicion. If, if you start failing on these thresholds legally in the court system, there's no hope that you can then create a regulation and have it survive uh, judicial scrutiny in any jurisdiction. It's, it's certainly not in the EU. It's certainly not in the United States or Britain or, or, or many of the Western countries where you would uh, have it whole war. Because the argument is you're exposing people to false accusation. And that's a very serious civil rights and, and human rights issue. Do you have a and that's what, on, like, you expect I personally don't out? know. I, I expect that the minute there's more than one multiple challenges in the courts to the validity of these blockchain surveillance methods, they will be forced to treat something like Monero or Bitcoin all the same, the same, the same way you treat cash. It doesn't mean that you can that you know, avoid KYC. You're not going to avoid KYC. But what you will avoid is the the besmirchment of a specific uh, cryptocurrency mm. like Monero. That's what you would avoid. But I, but it's a matter of time. Even I mean, yeah, even that, if you look, that I mean, doesn't discount the like we were saying before that the the reasons of national security. We wake up one morning and you know they sanction Monero just like they sanction Tornado Cash. Well, yeah, but you got to look at the case of Tornado Cash. The reason they sanctioned it is because of the fact that they were taking the money out of the uh, out of the till. You, if you yeah, made I mean, it, that, you see what, it. I don't know. I mean, that's the, that's the legal reason they did it, both in the Netherlands and the United States. And if you're going to actually ban it through a legislation, then you're going into a, a serious constitutional issue in the United States. Yeah, and you've, got hit, you've got to hit constitutional barriers also and human rights barriers in the European Union. So it's one thing to try to do it under the table, which is what they're doing now. It's quite another thing to have to take it head on uh, and not right back. And that, I think, will probably, particularly, once you start to say that you need to use Monero to prevent from being falsely accused, which is the argument that follows. It's a, it's a counter-argument. 
I need to use your Monero because I don't want to be falsely accused of a crime. I have nothing to do with Once you say that, now you've created a, a constitutional and a civil rights and a human rights issue to use Monero. I like that. So, so it's a double, you know, this is the thing. I mean, they're, they're pushing for the regulators to accept blockchain surveillance. I think it's been a major strategic error. In the short term, yeah, it looks good. In the long term, I don't give it credit. All right. I but think we're, we're you're putting it, you, you're uh, putting it, sorry, you're putting it in the same level as cash. Yeah. And that's uh, where it comes down. Amazing show today, guys. We're just about rounding out two hours. I got to go hang out with my daughter, um, which is a good thing. Guys, this is fantastic. Arctic, thank you so much for jumping on today. Archie, thank you so much, man. Obiter, uh, you guys are welcome to join anytime. I thought it was great that you guys came up, gave a little little perspective um, from kind of boots on the ground, people that actually uh, got affected by the recent listings, although you guys haven't because I don't think you were relying on those listings to begin with. But it, it was cool that you guys came up and, and, and shared your piece. Always welcome to join us. Uh, Body, obviously. Thank, thank you as always. Tux, man, you've been doing a great job uh, with well, helping me man this show. Greatly appreciate it. And to everybody else that participated today. Uh, we do these shows every Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Join us again next week, and we'll see you then. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you guys. Great show. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's Monerotopia episode. We stream live shows every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube and Odyssey or listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or join us in the Monerotopia Telegram group. See you all next week.